be here with you, lovely people. Um, I'm really excited about this morning because we are um, diving into kind of the practical part of this series, and it'll be kind of a, a, long, a long part of this series. Uh, my goal through the upcoming weeks is to invite you to become everyday disciples. That's kind of like my, my biggest priority as a pastor, that we would be a, a church of disciples. Um, but to do that together, like to be disciples in a very specific way and, and, and together in a, in, a, in a way that we're doing it together. Um, we've talked before, if you've you know, listened to me preach or you, you were around last year when we did another uh, series on, on discipleship, we've talked before about the importance of discipleship and how um, a Christian life uh, that doesn't involve, and this is my opinion, but I think it has a lot of biblical support, a Christian life that doesn't involve a specific commitment to being a disciple um, I don't want to say is not what it should be, but it certainly is not what it could be. I think we have an invitation and, and a good invitation to, to be disciples, in, and that's an invitation to a, um, a, a fulfilling life of following uh, Jesus. I think discipleship is essential to that. I uh, see a disciple is a person who has committed themselves to, to actually living a kind of life uh, that, that is uh, in keeping with the teachings of their, their teacher, right? Because Jesus was, before he was anything, he was known as rabbi, right? As a teacher in his culture, because he went around teaching people, not just what to think, but that, but also a way to live that is, was in keeping with what he was teaching them about what is true. A, a disciple is a person who has accepted that following Jesus will involve a degree of discipline. You hear discipline and discipleship, how those are related words? It's because they are discipline, which, by which I mean intentional practices built into the rhythms of our life. That's what a disciple is, a person who has believed something about who Jesus is and then organized their life around practices of expressing what they believe to be true about Jesus. You might recognize this quote from Dallas Willard from, we looked at it a couple of months ago, but and yeah. Dallas Willard, big surprise. Uh, but he, he explains the need for discipleship really well. He says this, It is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we so de devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want and completely ignore the need for character change in our life as a whole. The general human failing is that what uh, that is, is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We cannot behave on the spot uh, as he did, Jesus did, and taught if in the rest of our time we live as everyone else does. I think what, what Dallas Willard is pointing out is, is the need to enact and to live as disciples, not just in our heads, but in our whole lives. I think he's spot on right here. See, a disciple is a person who has come to the unsettling realization that despite their best intentions, trying to live to God's glory um, by the power of will alone is a losing proposition. I'm going to say that again. A disciple is a person that has come to the unsettling realization that despite their best intentions, trying to live to God's glory by the power of will alone is a losing proposition. 
Because the temptation and challenges reveal, and, I, and I've experienced this in my own life, reveal to me over and over again that I will habitually fail when I need to succeed. Right when I need my willpower the most, that is when my desire to follow Jesus fails and my willpower leaves me hanging. Or even worse, and I think even more commonly, if we were really to take inventory, temptations come and I'm not even aware of them. Because I'm not even of the mindset or of the disposition where I'm actually going to fight this fight and actually try to follow Jesus. I'm not even aware of the ways in which I'm just totally disregarding him. We, we, we find ourselves often in the predicament that Paul talks about in Romans 7. Right? And this is like fundamental uh, problem in, in, in the human condition. He says this, and he's kind of rhetorically putting himself in our position, in the position that he's been in the past. I want to do what is good, but I don't. This is the problem. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, the miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He doesn't just leave it there. He actually, actually, actually brings some hope because he understands that a disciple, somebody who's following after Jesus, is someone who is not despairing because a disciple understands that there is hope. And, and Paul goes on right after this. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a resolution to this problem. So, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, there is an answer for people who are stuck in, in this habitual patterns of sin. The answer is Jesus. First and foremost, his work, his action, the power of the Holy Spirit, breaking the power of sin over us by his death, he has taken away sin, taken away condemnation from those who have faith in him. He draws us into himself. He adopts us into his life. He's freeing us from the power of sin. Jesus made that possible by doing what he did on the cross. He's done all of that. Without Jesus, we would be absolutely stuck in sin, wanting to live in a renewed way, uh, but, uh, but utterly incapable of doing that. Wanting to change, but lacking the ability um, in 2019, I didn't live on the West Coast. I lived on the, on the East Coast and in Connecticut, and I was, I was pastoring there, a, you know, number two at a church for a while, uh, a while, 12 years. <laughs> That's a long while. Um, we had uh, started this little church, and there were like 50 people, but over, you know, the course of 12 years, the church grew a lot, and so we were building a new building in 2019. Um, and I'm sure that you know this, you might, you're probably not an expert builder, but I'm sure that you know that the first thing you do when you set out to build the building is you, is you dig a foundation and you build a foundation because that's where buildings start. They start from the ground up. And in order to do, to do that, you have to dig down, you have to excavate. See, see what Jesus does, he, he died on the cross, he breaks the power of sin. 
He breaks up the hard soil. He, he removes the power of sin that makes us, makes us incapable of, of moving past that, incapable of having the power to resist sin. That's what Jesus does. He's like, he's, he's like the excavator coming in, taking out the stuff that's in the way to build a life. At, at our church in Connecticut, we had to spend an unexpected $300,000 to do that work on explosives. Because if you've been to Connecticut, it is rock, rock everywhere, just cropping out of the ground. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, it was a price that needed paying in order to lay a foundation. It was, it was just money. It, was, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, you know what, let's, let's not pay the $300,000 and let's not lay a foundation. If you're going to build, you have to go down and dig a foundation. And then what do you do once you've dug down? Right? You deal with, with the fundamental issue. You have to go down and, and, and get to the root of the building where you're going to lay the foundation. But what do you do once you've dug down is, is you, you pour concrete. You build back upwards so that you can build a surface on which you can build. But you don't just pour concrete into a ditch, interestingly. This is where it gets a little technical, right? You don't just take a bunch of concrete and say, yeah, well, we dug a ditch. Let's, let's pour it. You, you might be able to do that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But what you actually do is, is in order to build up on, on a foundation, you build forms, like, like wooden boxes, right? Um, wooden boxes. I think I had a previous picture there where, where there's some forms, right? Before they pour the concrete, there's, there's kind of in that ditch, there's some boxes being built. You take wood, you build long boxes, and those things are a, a container for concrete to be poured into. And once the concrete is poured, it cures and it becomes strong. It stays and takes on the form. See, spiritual disciplines, discipleship, it, it's just like those concrete forms. Jesus has to do the work of, of digging up the soil, of, of changing the heart, of taking away the power of sin. But then we come in as disciples and we take on habits of heart, habits of discipleship. They are temporary means of giving shape to your life so that in the end, your life will be formed and strengthened and reinforced and renewed and can be the basis for something to be built on top of it. Do you get how that's necessary, how this is a two-part thing? Jesus does the work, takes away the sin, does, takes away the hard, rocky stuff that has to go, but then it is up to you as a disciple, along with Jesus Christ, to build something and shape something and forge something, not just dump concrete into a hole, but to set up a form so that you can have structural integrity once that form is taken away. Because that's what the concrete does. It sets up according to the shape of the box. And then it actually becomes that shape of that box. When the concrete's been poured, it, 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 it's formed, it's cured, and then uh, it doesn't need willpower anymore to stay in shape. It is shaped and it can rely on its structural integrity. We need shaping. Our hearts need shaping. Our characters need shaping to be following Jesus as we're called to be. I like how John Ortberg puts it. He's a, he's a, he's a pastor. Uh, I think he's in California. He says habits or, or, or disciplines, right? Because disciplines and habits, I think we can use interchangeably, are ways that we delegate power to our bodies. I love that. I love thinking about that. Ways that we delegate, delegate power to our bodies, Right? Not everything is about my willpower. Not, not, not everything in my life is going to be successful by me choosing it in the right moment because I, I don't need to do that. I actually need to learn habits where I just teach my body to do the right thing so I don't even have to think about it. 
Habits are the way we delegate power to our bodies. When we teach ourselves habits, when we take on disciplines, those habits become just a power source for, for a life in the kingdom of God. We rely on them for strength. We build strength into our bodies, teaching them how to follow after Jesus, to love the things of God. We change our desires, and we, we do that with, with, our, with like a whole-bodied pursuit of Jesus. But here's the, here's the thing that I just can't stop thinking about. This is the thing that, I, this is like the heartbeat behind this whole, whole series. Um, we normally think of disciplines and habits as very personal and private things. Things that I do, me and Jesus do. Here's the question, the animating question. What if, here at I-90 Community Church, we actually had a shared set of habits, a shared set of disciplines, things that we do together and aim to make part of our culture, things that we all did and things that we could talk about and encourage each other in. What if we did that? I think it would make a huge difference. See, we, we all get that personal disciplines are the way that we delegate power to our body. And I think that makes sense, right? I think that makes sense to most of us. But if we delegated power to us as the body of Christ, like all of us collectively, I think we would, we would have clarity and unity if we, if, 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 we, if we would build our lives around a few shared disciplines. And I think what we would see is that the Lord would do something awesome among us. He'd strengthen our body, give us joy, encouragement, life transformation. I think we would be blown away if we would try this out. And so that's what I'm asking you to do. Because, you know, our culture is fundamentally individualistic. It's like at, at the core of what it is to be an American, is to be an individualist. But I think if you read the New Testament, it's hard to square that with what we see the church, uh, like the way the church plays out in the, in the New Testament. It's just not biblical, this, this lone ranger Christianity, just me, just me and Jesus, just me and Jesus, nobody else is involved in this. It's not biblical, which I think saying something is not biblical is super lame. I'll tell you that because that's like, oh, like the internet isn't biblical either, but here we are live streaming, right? I mean, you know, to what degree can you do that? But, but let me just say it this way. In the Bible, we see that the church is empowered. Right? Like, you cannot read the book of Acts and not think, whew, there's something really special going on. Something that most of us, maybe, maybe we've, 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 we've glimpsed in our lives, in our, in our church experience, but for the most part, we probably haven't seen that kind of power and transformation uh, going on. And, and I think we, we, first of all, we have to give credit to the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit did amazing work in the early church. But I think we also need to recognize the conditions of life that were present in the church at that time. These were people who were living as disciples. So the Holy Spirit was doing a work, but they were also just leaning into discipleship. They were living as disciples. The Holy Spirit was able to shape them because they followed Jesus with their whole selves and they shared life together and they encouraged each other on this path. They had habits in their everyday life, things they did together to express their discipleship and to live it out. Hey, what if we tried that? Just take a few steps towards that. And here's the thing, like this isn't a guilt trip. I, I hate it when pastors talk about things not being, being biblical because usually it's just a guilt trip, honestly. Just, just my assessment, my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Not much. It's not a guilt trip. 
I'm not saying, hey, see, see, look at the Bible. We're doing it wrong. We should feel really bad about how wrong we're doing it. I'm saying, look at the Bible. This is the easy way. Let's do it the easy way. Because I've got to tell you, I've been trying to live as a Christian for, I don't know, 25 plus years all by myself, and it really hasn't gone that great. <laughs> like it, just, it just really hasn't. It really hasn't. And I wonder what's going on. Maybe because this whole me and Jesus thing, like just, just me and Jesus, no one else involved, maybe it's because it is like fundamentally flawed. Maybe it's because our, our individualism is getting in the way of our, our faith communities actually becoming strong and empowered. Maybe. At this point, I'm willing to test that theory out. <laughs> Right, because right, I'm, I'm starting to wonder what else there is, right? Um, so, like, guys, it's, it's not like, oh, let's, let's be disciples and let's do the hard work. Let's do the easy work. Let's do the easy work. It's so hard. It's so hard to try to do it on your own because you're just going to rest on your willpower and you're just going to rest on your own strength, and you're not that strong. But your brothers and sisters might be strong for you when you're not strong. You don't know what to do. The world is complicated. It's hard to discern. How do we live in the greater Western Washington area as, as, as disciples? Like, it can be discouraging. It can make you a little paranoid. Like, let's just do it together and encourage one another and, and figure it out together. I think the Holy Spirit, if we were committed to this kind of life, like, like, like understanding what we know clearly about what we're called to and then just, just like pressing into those things, and doing it together and encouraging one another, I think something good might happen. And I want to try it. Let's take the easy road. Let's go together. So with that said, here's the first thing. First thing I'm asking you to do. You know, I, I was talking about how there's an acronym, and the acronym is to the word become, because we're going to become everyday disciples together. And the first one is the B. Does anyone have a, oh, yeah, I was going to ask if anyone had a guess, but now it's up there, I guess. Yeah, so the first one is B. This is the thing that I'm asking us to do together, and that's to bless. I want us literally to put this as a practice, a habit in our lives, to bless one follower of Jesus, somebody you know, and someone who does not yet follow Jesus every single week. I, sounds simple. It is simple. It's the easy way. I want you to do that, okay? So how many thought you, the B was going to be Bible, right? I was thinking, I was, I was trying to mess with you guys and not make it Bible. So there'll be some Bible later. Don't worry. There'll be some Bible later. Um, but it's not, it's not Bible. Like, it, it, it's funny because um, I think, you know, our type of Christians, I'm not sure if we're evangelicals. I'm not sure if there are evangelicals anymore. I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> you, you can guess. But the type of Christian who kind of like tries to take the Bible pretty seriously, um, I think that we love it if we would love if the B were Bible because we, the Bible that's that's the hard stuff right. But blessing we think oh, that sounds a little squishy. Anybody feel that way? We're like oh uh, squishy blessing. I don't know. That's just that just seems like just being nice. Are you saying we just be nice and that'll solve all the issues? Well, let's let's sit with that. Let, let's think about that for a second, okay? Look, hey, remember the last couple of weeks we talked about a, the definition of faith. Again, Dallas Willard, because that's just me. Uh, he has this definition. He says, I love it. He says, faith is a commitment to action, often beyond our natural abilities, based upon knowledge of God and God's ways. Faith isn't like a planned irrationality. Um, it is acting in a manner. It is behaving in a manner, living my life in a manner that is consistent with what I know of God and God's ways. And when I think about blessing... And I think about God, man, I, I, I can't read the Bible and not see that God is a blessing God. God is really into blessing. 
I think actually, if we, if, we, if we understood that and thought about the ways in which God uses a blessing for his purposes, that we would actually not think of blessing as being kind of a squishy thing, but actually like a really hard discipline, which could be really fruitful. So I want us to be people who are intentionally blessing, habitually blessing people around us, not because it's nice, but because God is in the blessing business, and he wants us to do the same. In my Bible dictionary, this is the definition of blessing, to bless. It also has a sense of, of, of bestowing favor, to invoke or enact divine favor, often implying a positive disposition or kind action towards the recipient. In case you were wondering what blessing is, that's biblically, at least, uh, the way people who write Bible, Bible dictionaries define the word blessing. The invocation or inaction of divine favor and implying positive disposition, a positive attitude, and kind actions towards someone who is receiving a blessing. I really think we, we have to define that and think about it fundamentally, but, but it's such a part of who God is. You can see the little graph at the bottom there with the colors on it, right? That is, um, that is a, a, uh, a map of where in the Bible, I, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word bless appears. You can see at the very beginning there, you see how there's that fat part in the red on the left side? Well, yeah, your left, my left. It's, it's the left on both sides because we're... Okay. Um, that is the number of occurrences of the word bless in, in, in the book of Genesis. Do you know how many times it's in there? 62 times the word blessed is used in the book of Genesis. The first... Think about this. The very first indication we have the very first revelation of who God is, what he's like, comes to, to, to us. And what we see is that he is, he's using the word blessing more than once every single chapter in that book. Blessing is a, a major theme in the book of Genesis. When God creates people, the first thing he does is he blesses them in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. When God creates the world and, and he gets on the seventh day, what does he do? He blesses the seventh day, blessing the perfection of creation. Everything that he's done, he blesses it. Like, he didn't have to do that. It was already awesome, but he has something in him. God has something in his character where what he makes, he loves to bless. Man, knowledge of God and his ways. If I understand who God is, I have to understand that he is someone who blesses, right? And, and you know the narrative of the Bible, like after Genesis 3, things sort of fall apart. And, and you'd think that God would then start to curse. And well, there are some instances where things are a little, little dicey, right? Not, not cursing, but he's, he's trying to restart things. But, but what happens in, in Genesis 12 is, is we have the beginning of something, and it begins with God calling out this guy named Abraham, who, who Abraham was not like a holy guy. He was not a guy who was really seeking after the Lord. He was just a guy who was worshiping the moon god over in Ur of the Chaldees. He was just some, some dude who had no business worshiping God, no interest in God. And all of a sudden, what God does is, is he appears to him in Genesis 12, and the Lord says to him this, Go from this land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So fascinating. 
Like God creates, he blesses, everything's great. Things devolve because of sin and rebellion. And then to put the pieces back together, to start to put the world back in a new direction, what does God do? He reveals himself to Abraham and then he blesses. What I see as a, as, a, as a pattern throughout Scripture is that in order to fix brokenness, in order to overcome the brokenness of the world, God enacts the most aggressive, realistic, and powerful means of intervention, blessing. That's how God begins to put things back. He starts with blessing. He doesn't dangle it like a carrot. He says, Oh, I'm going to find people who are far away from me. I'm going to bless them. And I'm going to see how that totally transforms the world. And he starts with Abraham, and then it grows into Israel, and then it grows into us like all people being invited into his story, being invited into blessing, and being people who are proclaiming blessing to the whole world. That is God's means of intervening in brokenness. I'm sure you remember at Christmas, right? We, we, we talked about how Jesus was born and, and the, the angels are proclaiming how God is blessing the world. He says, behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. That's a blessing. Good news of great joy for all people. For today in the city of David, there's born to you a savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. See, God is intervening and habitually is intervening in the world and in history, and he always does it leading with blessing, consistently leading with blessing. Not saying God doesn't judge, not saying that, but he always starts with blessing. Now, maybe you think, well, isn't that nice for God? Isn't that nice that God has the ability to just bless people indiscriminately? But why is it like, why should I do that? Right? You know, that's him. I, I want to be me. I'm, I'm an individual, an individualist. I do my own thing. Because that's not how my world works. It's, it's not, it, I can't change my world around. I can't uh, make sense of my world and my life by, by just like going on a, like a blessing spree. I don't feel like that's going to change things. Because God is powerful, but I need to look out for myself, and I can't afford to bless, and I really don't have it in me to bless because I'm quite angry at people, um, and I don't want to be a pushover. I don't want them to think that I'm weak, and I'm not sure if blessing will actually result in the kind of life that I want to live. God is God, but I'm just, I'm just a guy or gal trying to get by. But friends, I mean, I really just have to believe, and I, and I think it's not just in Genesis, but all throughout the book, books of, of the Bible, that we are called to be people who are becoming like God, called to be people who are becoming like Jesus, called to be students of our teacher, disciples, living the kind of life that he lived and prescribed and taught. Jesus has asked us to do the work of shaping our character, to become disciples, to become like him, to become like God. Disciples are people who are becoming like their teacher. There's no other definition. And our fears about blessings People who enact God's blessing, I think, are unfounded. Because I think that what, what, what is consistently taught in the Bible, especially in, 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 in the, the epistles, is that this Paul's letters, right, that are kind of edifying the church and teaching them how to, how to be. We really find that there is an understanding with Paul and Jesus and, and, and Peter and, and all the writers of Scripture 
that this stuff really works. Being people of blessing actually really works. It doesn't make you a pushover. It doesn't make you weak. It actually is the way that you overcome. It's actually the way that you have victory and peace and joy in life. Look what Paul says in Romans 12. He couldn't say it more clearly. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll, you'll keep burning coals upon his head. Don't overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That is the strategy that God's people are called to just lay into and build their lives around. Man, we look at the world sometimes and we think, man, everyone around me is just evil and wicked and awful and against me. People have power over me and I'm not comfortable with them. In the middle of circumstances exactly right like that, we are called to bless. Bless those who persecute us. Bless and don't curse. Bless those who are difficult. Bless those who are unkind to us, uninterested in us. Blessing paradoxically. And it's just like the, the understood wisdom revealed by Jesus and, and, and embraced by Paul and, and, and the early church. Paradoxically, blessing is the way that we win. And not only we win, but our enemies win. Blessing is the way that we bring about and, and, and work with God as, as God's people like to bring about his purposes and restore all things. We are called to be people dedicated to blessing, to doing good even to our enemies. Because it's really true that habitual blessing is up for the challenge. Because God knew it knew that the way to put the world back together from the beginning was to bless it. Blessing is God's strategy for restoring the world. And he's blessed us with grace. What is grace like? It is forgiveness that you didn't deserve. Romans tells us that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a blessing. That's giving us something that we had no business to expect according to the logic of the world. But God says, in order to save these people, in order to do a work among them, I'm going to give them something that they would never expect. I'm going to give my favor, my kindness, a disposition of goodness. I'm going to pour that out upon people, and it's going to call people and change people. We are called to bless the world likewise, bless people likewise, because that is how God restores things. And we just have to believe that. I think that'll take you five years to really get into your head. Because everything about the logic of the world, everything that I've learned from, from a child, right, in my natural self, tells me otherwise. 
every, every message I, I see in the world around me, like commercials and TV, all the media that surrounds me, tells me, actually, you know, the best way I get ahead is, is looking out for myself first, putting my own needs first. And yet the logic that is commended over and over again to us as people of God is that, no, no, no. We win by serving, we win by blessing, we win by putting ourselves second, putting God first, putting ourselves third even, under others. And it's not just like, because it's a nice thing to do, it's because that is actually how we enter into and live in fullness of the kingdom. We can bless without hesitation, but we have to learn it as a habit. We can be confident that blessing is God's strategy to draw people to himself. But we have to preach that to ourselves and understand it and read the word because it keeps telling us over and over again that that's exactly the way it is. But we can do that. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm just trying to get really practical in how do we do this. I want to just think about a few ways um, in, in which blessing uh, works. I've got a, a slide up here to remind me what my question was because I don't remember. There it is. Uh, <laughs> what does a habit of blessing look like? Like, So what would it look like for you to actually start to live this and build it as a habit in your life. First off, it's intentional. What do I do with things that I intend to accomplish? I'll tell you right now, I put it on my calendar, because if I don't, it's not going to happen. I, I put it on literally on a list, on a to-do list. I, I, I build an intentional thing that I actually intend to do. I actually do, I set out to, to, to make it a reality by planning to do it. So I'm not, saying, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but I'm not saying that the way that I want us to practice this habit is to just like look for a spontaneous way to bless somebody, although that would be great too. I'm actually saying sit down, go home uh, after this, sit down, talk to your family or, or if, if, if you uh, or talk to some friends, you know, people among you, and say, hey, what's, what's a way that I can bless somebody? And then plan it out and then do it, but do it on purpose. Right? Every habit I have is actually something that I intend to do and I put on a calendar and I, I actually make it happen. So do it intentionally. Coming up after that, we've got um, <laughs> bless recklessly. I really think so. Like Again, what I mean by recklessly is this. Don't think, does this person really deserve to be blessed? <laughs> because that's not what blessing is. The answer is no, they don't. You didn't deserve to be blessed either. Ephesians 1, like God has blessed us with all the blessing in the, like, in, in the heavens, all, every spiritual blessing. Didn't deserve any of that. God gave it to me anyway. It was his way of drawing me to himself. You can bless recklessly, okay? So, and I think we do this all the time. And if you are a person who, and this is, not in, this is, this is actually like a very commendable thing, but if you're a person who has a, a heightened sense of justice, this will be very difficult for you, right? Because like, you're like, I don't want to... Bad people shouldn't be blessed. That's just not the way it should work. And yeah, according to reason, that, that's, that's probably true. And I'm not saying like you go out to people and bad people and say, you know what, bad person, you're doing so great. That's not how you bless them. It's to literally will and to desire good things for them and to enact those good things in some way to just show them that you love them, that you care about them despite their badness. Not because of their badness, that's not what I'm talking about. But be reckless enough to know that, that God sees them as who they are and that you can recognize them for the dignity they have as people who have the image of God and who are, are probably just acting from places of hurt and self-protection and you can just come into them and bless them and say, yeah, I know that God knows exactly how to deal with all your issues. And he, and he does it by just 
pouring out his kindness and grace first and, and to act according to that understanding. Might feel a little reckless if you're very inclined to justice. It's okay. I, I give you permission. I think, I think, or go back in scripture and, and seek it out. I think God gives us permission to bless that way. And bless spiritually. Um, that sounds kind of weird. I, I admit that sounds kind of weird. But we have to understand this. Blessing is like an offensive weapon in the kingdom of God. And it cuts through darkness and overcomes evil. And so when I'm going to set out to bless somebody, I have to understand like how God uses blessing to break through hardness of heart and spiritual darkness. And I, I want to, to do things, not that, that are nice, not, not just things that are nice, but things that are going to minister grace and salvation and kindness to people. To understand that I can bless a person in such a way to show them and demonstrate to them the love of God. Again, not to just like endorse everything that they do or their, their badness, but in such a way that I can teach to them and minister to them that God loves them and calls them to something more. Invites them into a life with God. Sees them as created and he loves them and cares for them. We go out in that spirit, in that confidence, understanding that when we bless, we're not just, just being nice. We're doing a spiritual work. We're breaking up because Jesus has told us, go and make disciples of all nations. We are breaking up spiritual strongholds and opposition as we bless. So we got to go about prayerfully. We got to go out like seeking the Lord to guide us as we do this. We got to go out asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, direct me because I know there's like a spiritual work that needs to be done. It's not just like, like peppering the world with niceness. It is coming, <laughs> understanding that blessing is like an offensive tactic to break through darkness. That sounds pretty intense. I like it though. Okay, another question, right? Okay, so how practically, like what are the things that we can actually do just to get really practical, to bless somebody? And just a few ideas. This is not an exhaustive list. You can pray with people. You can be that weird person, right? And I really think that that would be really awesome. Um, praying with people, not just for them, alone, away from them, praying with them, right? Enacting the favor of God, no matter what messed up stuff is going on in their life. Because God knows how to deal with that stuff. But he begins with blessing them. So we, we can just pray for them and ask for God's blessing to be upon them. And God knows how to take care of the sin issues, okay? God knows how to deal with that stuff. We can serve them. We can actually just look at, look at like, go to your neighborhood, look around. Who needs, who needs help? And go and help them. Knock on their door. Be the weird person. Break the Seattle freeze. The Seattle freeze is lame. Be the Seattle sun. It's like a July day, right? <laughs> July, and that's it. No other days. <laughs> um, be the person who goes and, and, and melts away the, the iciness. Go and serve people. Find an, an elderly person in your neighborhood who needs help. Knock on their door. Say, can I clean up your yard? Can I take your trash out? Can I just talk to you and care for you? Can I uh, find a person who clearly is down and out or hurting or alone looking and just start a conversation? Just, just serve people in any way. Um, and, and again, as you're going out doing this, like, 
like praying with the Lord. Lord, show me the things. Show me the ways that I can pray with and serve people. And, and then just like love people. Listen to them and care about them. Listen to them and care about them. Loneliness is an epidemic. It's a health epidemic. I mean, there's like more research coming out all the time, especially in light of, I don't know, things that have happened the last couple of years. I don't know what, you know. But there's been a lot of social dislocation and loneliness, and it's causing major health problems, and we have a loneliness epidemic. Um, I was talking to, um, I'll just, Sean, I'm telling a story. I'm telling your story. <laughs> I don't think you'll mind. Sean was telling me that, um, like, his, his, his daughter works at Starbucks at the drive-thru. And, like, people will come, and it's like a confession booth. Like, people will just pull up, be like, here's your drink. My friend just died. And it's because people are so lonely. They don't have anybody to talk to. Because, like, everybody's so busy and so consumed with, with work, right? And people just neglect their, their souls habitually for a whole lifetime. And that just breaks out of people. And it turns into all the ugliness and sin and, and stuff that we see, see in the world. Like, you know, God is, is, is calling us to be people who break through that stuff with love. With love. Attention. I've got a four-year-old. <laughs> she's always seeking attention. Because what, she's the, the fourth child, right? So, you know, there's a lot going on. <laughs> But she's so, like, she just wants attention all the time, which I just have to remind myself, that's because she just wants to know love. And whether you're four years old or 40 years old, it's all the same. Everybody wants to know that they're loved and cared for. And we're called to be people just like Abraham who are a blessing to the nations. God loves Abraham. He reveals that to him. He cares about him. He gives him time and attention and revelation and blesses him. And then he calls him to go and bless. And we're called to likewise go out, be people who have received love from God, attention from God that we would never deserve or expect to have. And then God says, go and do likewise. Tell people about how I love them and I'm restoring all things. Just go people who, people who know that God is doing deep works in people. And that it's just going to involve us loving people and listening to them. Make time for them. Waste time. Waste time for the sake of blessing people. Because it's not a waste. So we're going to do those things. But then, and then the final thing, right? Because we talked about the individualistic side of things. But how do we do this together? How do we do this together? I'd like us to do three things habitually as part of our culture. And we're going to do these, these things around all of the six things that I'm talking about, right? First is that we're going to celebrate these things. Um, I've got another slide here, okay? Uh, and then we'll come back to this one after that one. Um, have you guys ever heard of Slido? Yeah, me either. Uh, Slido is like, a, it's like an audience. It's like for conferences you go. And, and so you can go, even, even pull out your phone. Pull out your phone if you want. Go to slido.com. And if you enter that number, 2083442, you can go anytime this week or even on Sunday, next Sunday morning when you come. And there's a question that's going to pop up. Like you're going to see it. It says, share how you were able to bless someone this week and how God used it. So this week, you can take a picture. Yeah, go ahead and take a picture. I'll send that in an email too. Um, this week, like, do that. Go home, plan it, do it, 
And then don't, don't give names. You don't have to give your name when you fill this out either. I'm doing it anonymous. Well, maybe we'll get to the point where we can share our names at some point, right? Ooh, little, little baby steps, baby steps to community. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so, so go and do that. And then you can write what happened. And, you know, don't write anything inappropriate up there, you know. Who am I looking at? Justin. I'm asking. No, 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 I'm joking. No, no, Justin would never do that. Um, right? So, and, and then you can come, and once other people answer, their answers will be here. Right? So you can check in and say, how is God using other people to do this? Like, well, we, we can share stories and testimonies. Testimonies, like, this is a way to do it with the internet. It's so cool. The internet's amazing. So we're, gonna, um, we're going to celebrate these things together, right, by sharing stories. Uh, the other thing you, you can do, how we do it together, is, is partner with somebody. So maybe it's your spouse if, you, if you're married, or maybe like if, if, if you're single, friends, or even if you're married, people who you're not married to, you can partner with. I, I was tempted to write the word accountability on there, but that's such an icky word. Just partner with people. Like, look at it as an opportunity, not a way to feel bad about yourself, right? Look at it as an opportunity to encourage one another, partner with each other, say, okay, Help, help, help you be creative. Like, how can you creatively bless people? Like, and, and encourage you to actually do it and to follow through it and, and see if God doesn't do something with it and share with each other, partner with each other to do this. And then lastly, just repeat. I don't want this to be six weeks of this and then we're done, okay? I want us to keep coming back to this. Thank you so much. I didn't tell you to come, but you read it exactly right. Um, I, I want you just to just keep doing this, right? Habits need to be done over a longer period of time. Not forever. We don't need to do this forever, but just like a concrete form. It needs to be set for a little while. We need to pour ourselves into it and just let it shape us for a while. And then maybe one day there'll be new things. Maybe there'll be new things to, to, to build on top. But I'd like to try to do this together. What do you think? Yeah, all right, cool. Yes. Total agreement, 100%. I heard it. You heard it. Witness, signed. Contracts will be in the back. No, I'm joking. Hey, let's pray. All right, so Lord God, I thank you for uh, this group of people. Uh, Lord, we just want to, like, encourage one another. We want to get to know each other. Lord, we want to... Um, say yes to your spirit, and, and we, we've seen in scripture like that your spirit moves in groups of people when those groups of people are just like, like iron sharpening iron, like, like, like seeking you and pursuing you together, encouraging one another. Lord, Lord teach us how to do that together, Lord. Teach us how to, to be a part of your intervention in the world, Lord. You're dealing with sin, Lord. You're dealing with uh, pain and loss and difficulty and brokenness, Lord. Teach us how to be people who, who bless, and, and by bless we mean just go along with you and do the things that you do according to who you've shown yourself to be in your ways, God. Teach us to be those sorts of people, we pray. Lord, fill us up with, with, um, with just lead us. Holy Spirit, give us, give us dreams. Give us instructions. Uh, Lord, have other people uh, come, come into our lives and, and show us and teach us and, and encourage us in what, what we're called to do. Lord, do a work among us. Shape us in the way that only you know how. I pray. I pray for this group of men and women here. God, would you build us up? Would you use us according to your will? Would you get us excited for what you're doing and what, that we get to partner with you in it? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.